0: Hi, everyone. My name is Frida Maria Almas-Pierter. I'm a professor of public international law at Buenos Aires University and at the University in Argentina. For the last 20 years, I have been also leading the Argentine team who work in the delineation of the outer limit of the continental shelf. First of all, I want to thank the Codification Division of the United Nations for inviting me to contribute to the audiovisual Library of International Law with this lecture. I am really delighted to share with you today some thoughts on the continental shelf and its outer limit. In my presentation, I will first make a brief reference to the continental shelf as the natural prolongation of the landmass territory. Then, I will focus focus on the methodology and process provided in the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea for establishing the outer limit of the continental shelf, analyzing with the short extension that is possible in this kind of lecture, the problems and particularities that have been arising in the process of consideration of the submissions by the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf. I will finalize with a reference to the international recent jurisprudence. The United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which was adopted in 1982 and is in force since 1994, is the international treaty that defines the extent of the maritime spaces together with the rights and duties that coastal states exercise in each of them. Focusing on the topic of this lecture, we can see that when it comes to the seabed and subsoil, there is a clear difference between the territorial sea that extends from the baselines to no more than 12 nautical miles and where the coastal state has sovereignty, and the continental shelf, that is the seabed and subsoil, but extends from the outer limit of the territorial sea, and where the coastal state does not have sovereignty, but it has sovereign rights over the living resources and jurisdiction over certain matters that we can discuss later on. But also, beyond the continental shelf, we have the seabed, an ocean floor beyond national jurisdiction, that is, the area, with a particular legal status, it is common heritage of mankind. We can see that it is very important to define the limits of these three different maritime spaces, because the rights and the duties that both coastal states and other states have in each of them change substantially. In the evolution of the law of the sea, the first stages were about the separation between the portion of the sea that was under coastal state's sovereignty and the freedom of the oceans. But already in the 20th century, in the early 20th century, we can find references to what was going to be the continental shelf, to this concept that link the exploration of the resources in the seabed and subsoil beyond the area that was under coastal state sovereignty. Among some doctrinal scholars, we can mention the Argentinians Storni and Suárez, the Spanish Odondehuén, the Portuguese Almeida and Magaláes, and Chidel from France. They all refer, somehow, to the exploitation of the resources of the seabed and subsoil beyond the territorial sea, separating it from the water's regime. In the practice, we, can, we have also the cases of the pearl fishing in Ceylon, the oysters in Granbeam Bay, and sponges of Tunisian coasts. Another important milestone was the 1942 treaty between Venezuela and the United Kingdom on the marine areas of the Gulf of Paria. But really, it was the President of the United States, Harry Truman, who issued a formal claim on 19, in 1945 on the continental shelf, referred to as the Truman Proclamation, claiming exclusive rights over the resources of the shelf, separated from the high, high superjacent waters that were high seas, and beyond the territorial sea. This claim was followed by many states, mainly the Latin American ones which, by means of national rules, extended their rights over the natural prolongation of their territory under the sea. These unilateral acts, in addition to the actions by regional bodies, were used by the International Law Commission, which drafted the basis of the Convention of the Continental Shelf, adopted in Geneva in 1958, in the first United Kingdom Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea. <clears throat> this convention recognizes the main characteristics of the continental shelf that subsist to present, the exclusive rights of the coastal states for the purposes of exploration and exploitation of the natural resources, the definition of those resources, and the reaffirmation of the regime of the superjacent sea waters as high seas. Although the definitions in the 1958 marked a progressive development of the law existing at that time, they soon became part of the international, General International Law, as recognized by the International Court of Justice in 1969 in the case of the North Sea Continental Shelf. And they were taken up by the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea in 1982. However, this did not happen with the definition adopted in 1958 for the outer limit of the continental shelf, as it was extended to a depth of 200 meter, meters or beyond that limit to where the depth of the superchasing waters admit the exploitation of the natural resources. This definition was acceptable in 1958, but in less than ten years the criteria of depth and exploitation were superseded by the technological advances. And the need to know more accurately the limits of the rights of the coastal states became urgent for the purposes of providing legal certainty to the exploitation of the seabed and ocean floor beyond national jurisdiction, which were considered common heritage of mankind since the late 1960s. In 1974, when the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea began, the concept of the continental shelf was linked to its conception as the natural prolongation of the territory, stressed by the International Court of Justice in 1969, as we have seen. And negotiations were focused on the need to the, for the shelf to include the entire continental margin, based on the geological knowledge. But in addition, the extent of the shelf had to be compatible with the concept of exclusive economic zone that was arising. So, we come to Article 76 of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is the article that deals with the shelf, the continental shelf, and its outer limit. The legal continental shelf is defined there as the seabed and subsoil of the submarine areas that extend throughout the natural prolongation of the coastal state's land territory. This natural prolongation has a beginning, legally, big, legal beginning beyond the territorial sea, because the seabed and subsoil up to two, uh, 12 nautical miles are part of the territorial sea. And it also has an end, the outer edge of the continental margin, or the distance of 200 nautical miles. That is, the definition of the extent of the continental shelf provided in Article 76 includes two elements. The first one is based on the notion of natural prolongation, which does not happen with other maritime spaces, whose limits are defined only by reference to fixed extensions in, natural, in nautical miles. The second one is the distance criterion. According to this, the, the continental shelf extends up to 200 nautical miles, where the outer edge of the continental margin does not extend up to that distance. Thus, coinciding with the exclusive economic zone, se- regardless of the fact that it could be Cibet- the C- the and subsoil there could be abyssal seafloors. Therefore, the interest of coastal states with very narrow geological shelves, such as the countries of the South Pacific, are taken into account. It is interesting to note that Article 76 includes this distant criterion as a supplementary one, where there is no natural prolongation beyond that distance. Let's focus now on the determination of the limit of the continental shelf, where the continental margin extends beyond 200 nautical miles. Article 76 defines what is understood by continental margin. The submerged prolongation of the landmass of the coastal state, and consists of the seabed and subsoil of the shelf, the slope, and the rise. As we can see, from a physical or geological point of view, the continental shelf is only one of the three parts of the continental margin. The other two are the slope and the rise. However, the three make up the legal continental shelf, which is the area where the coastal states exercise sovereign rights for the purposes of exploration and exploitation of the natural resources. As a former judge of the International Tribunal on the Law of the Sea, Dolly Bernenson said, there is an interface between law and science. Once it, had been de- it has been defined that the legal continental shelf extends up to the outer edge of the continental margin, Article 76 of the Convention explains how to determine the outer edge, this outer edge, providing two formulas, and two constraints that the state coast the coastal state must apply, using scientific data and extensive and detailed field studies. First, the state must determine the location of the so-called foot of the slope, between the, the point between the slope and the rise, which, except for evidence to the contrary, shall be determined as the point of maximum change in the gradient at its base. Then, the criteria or formulas established in the Convention as proof of the extent of the continental margin must be applied. The first one is the distance formula. When this formula or criterion is applied, it is accepted that the outer edge of the continental margin extends up to a distance of 60 nautical miles from the foot of the slope. It is also called Herbert formula, after the American scientist who proposed it. In this, the second one, the sediment thickness formula, it's a bit more complicated. This criterion involves measuring the thickness of the sediments, or sedimentary rocks, located between the seabed and the crust. And seismic studies are necessary to that end. In this case, it is accepted that the outer edge of the continental margin extends up to the point where the thickness of those sedimentary rocks is at least 1% of the shortest distance to the foot of the slope. For example, if the sediment thickness at a given point is 1 km, that point must be 100 km or less from the foot of the slope to be considered as a point of the outer edge of the continental margin. This is also referred to as the Irish formula, because it is based on Gardiner's proposal, who was an Irish geologist. The extent of the continental margin, according to these two formulas, to become the outer limit of the continental shelf, has two constraints. It is two limits beyond which The continental shelf may not be extended, even when it is proven that the outer edge of the continental margin extends naturally or geologically beyond them. These two constraints are, first, the 350 nautical miles from the baselines, or, second, the 100 miles from the 2500 meters isobat. An isobat is a line showing in points of the same depth. So, with all this that we have just referred to, when the, we have to make, like, everything on the map, and when the coastal state wants to establish the outer limit of its continental shell beyond 200 nautical miles, it has to combine the criteria and constraints in the most favorable way, choosing the more convenient one for each sector. And the coastal state shall submit the outer limit delineated by means of straight lines not exceeding 60 nautical miles in length from each other, from each point. This process for establishing the outer limit of the continental shelf, complex and integrate integrate as as it is, is what states, even not state parties to the Convention, are applying. The state's practice and the recent international jurisprudence allows us to affirm that there is customary enjoyment of the general principles of Article 76, including the determination of the outer limit of the continental shelf according to its provisions. Well, taking into account the complexity of this process that we have just explained, and the data needed to support the outer limit of the continental shelf, the Convention creates a scientific and technical body, the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf, consisting of 21 members who shall be experts in the field of geology, geophysics, and hydrography, marine sciences in general, elected by state parties to the Convention, ensuring equitable geographical distribution representation. The functions of the Commission are to consider the data and other materials submitted by the coastal states concerning the outer limit of the continental shelf in areas where those limits extend beyond 200 nautical miles, and to make recommendations on the conformity of the limits contained in the submissions with the Convention. The Commission can also provide scientific and technical advice if requested by states. The Commission has drafted three important documents, its rules of procedure and modus operandi, which were unified in a single document, and the scientific and technical guidelines. The scientific and technical guidelines aim at assisting coastal states with the technical nature and scope of the data and information to be submitted to the Commission. It is intended to ensure a uniform and extended practice for the preparation of the scientific and technical evidence that will support the limit. But it is clear from the introduction on that the guidelines are not binding, as a state may resort to other scientific and technical methodologies that are not contained or recommended therein. While well, we just explained the methodology containing the convention, the organ created by the convention, and now we go to the submissions. When the state uh, deposited the limit to the Secretary-General of the United Nations, it is called a submission. And it has been more than 17 years since the Russian Federation made the first submission to the commission, in December 2001, thus marking the beginning of a new phase in the implementation of the convention. The following submissions were made with some time in between, with an average of three per year. In this way, at the 1st of January of 2009, it began with 16 submissions, and between this date and the 13th of May of 2009, which was the deadline for those states which had ratified the convention before 1999, 15 submissions were made. In addition, 45 preliminary informations were received. This is a previous step accepted by the meeting of state parties for those states which have not been able to finish their studies. Up to now, February 2019, 81 submissions have been made and also 7 revised submissions. That is, those states that have received recommendations from the Commission and do not agree with the result or with part of the result, could make a new or revised submission for the part where they have differences. Up to now, these are the three revised submissions, one from Barbados, one from Argentina, two from the Russian Federation, and three from Brazil. But it is expected that new submissions will be made, so the 81 are not the last one. Uh, those for the states who have presented preliminary information and still have to make the submission, those for the states that have made a partial submission but still have other areas pending, and those for the states for which the 10-year deadline has not finished yet. On the other hand, we have also to consider the possibility that other states not satisfied with the recommendations of the Commission May make revised submissions. The Commission has advanced up to the analysis of submission number forty-six with the following results: twenty-seven recommendations, sorry, twenty-seven recommendations were adopted. The consideration of nine submission was postponed, as they have been objected by the other states because of the existence of the dispute. And the draft recommendation for one submission. Uh, is under the consideration of the plenary of the Commission, and seven subcommissions are currently working. And with regard to the seven revised submissions, three have already received recommendations: Barbados, Argentina, the first one in Russia. Two are being analysed by established subcommissions, the Brazilian's first one and the Russian's second one, and. Two are in the queue for new submissions to be set up, the, other, the second and the third from Brazil. So now we are going to, to take a look at how uh, is the Commission dealing when there is a dispute related to the submissions that the state made. Dispute settlement is a very sensitive issue in any field and the establishment of the outer limit of the continental shelf is no exception. The Convention sets forth the general and basic principle. Its provisions and the actions of the Commission shall be, without prejudice, of matters relating to the delimitation of the continental shelf between states with opposite or adjacent coasts. When drafting its rules of procedure, The Commission reiterates this principle, but is more specific and refers not only to cases of disputes between states with opposite or adjacent coasts, but also at, or other, unresolved land or maritime disputes. The Rules of Procedure, in Article 46 and Annex 1, mention the situations that may arise when there is a dispute in relation to the outer limit of the continental shelf that is submitted. In the first place, it is recognized that the competence with respect to matters regarding disputes which may arise in connection with the establishment of the outer limit of the continental shelf rests with states. For this reason, when making a submission, the state must inform of the existence of the dispute related to the submitted area and assure that the submission does not prejudice matters relating to the delimitation of the boundaries. The Rules of Procedure uh, refers to the following options. The states may make a partial submission of the areas that are not under dispute. Other states that share an area where there is a dispute have decided to make a joint submission without prejudice to the bilateral or multilateral limits still pending. So far, eight joint submissions have been made, Um, some among four states, two states, three states, even seven states. It is interesting to note that there have not been joint submissions by Latin American states, while there have been in other continents, and even between continents. In the first joint submission, France, Ireland, Spain and the United Kingdom stated that they considered the submission as a single project and that, for each of these four coastal states, the joint submission represented a partial submission. They stressed that its consideration by the Commission will not prejudice matters relating to the delimitation of boundaries among these four coastal states or any other state they have already received recommendations. The second one, Seychelles and Mauritius Submission, has already received recommendations, and both countries signed a subsequent treaty based on the recommendations, which has been deposited with the United Nations Secretary-General as a joint boundary. The submission made by the three states from Oceania, the third one, has also been considered and received recommendations. The considerations of Malaysia's and Vietnam joint submission, which was the fourth one, of, as joint submission, has been postponed as it received objections from Philippines and China. The joint submission by the seven African states in the Atlantic Ocean was made within the framework of a regional-subregional cooperation plan, which is being developed with the assistance of the Norwegian government the seventh state has previously submitted preliminary information. So, we have been the partial submission, the joint submissions. Now, we are going to refer to the cases where the submission is made without the prejudice to the final delimitations, but with consent by, s- by states. There are numerous cases of submissions like this. I will refer to some of them, such as Cuba's submission, which in its executive summary clarifies that the maritime borders of the three states whose continental shelf extends in the eastern polygon of the Gulf of Mexico, Cuba, Mexico, and the United States have not been delimited thus far, but they will be resolved by agreements or other peaceful means, and its submission does not prejudice the final delimitation. Both Mexico and the United States presented notes stating the same that the limits were unresolved and any and stating that any recommendation by the commission uh, should be understood without prejudice to the final delimitation but they expressed their consent to, for the submission to be considered by the commission The intervention of United States is very interesting because it implies that, not being party to the Convention, it accepts not only the criteria to determine the outer limit, but also the procedure uh, with the CLCS, with the Commission. Barbados made the submission in 2008, and received notes from Suriname, Trinidad and Tobago, and Venezuela, referring to unresolved limits, but none of them prevented the consideration of the submission. It has already received recommendations. The same happened with Suriname's submission in 2008, which received notes from France, Trinidad and Tobago, and Barbados. It also has received the recommendations. Portugal's note in relation to Spain's submission, west of Canary Islands, is also similar. The partial submission uh, made by Denmark, on the area north of Greenland, made it clear that there were several unresolved problems in relation to the delimitation, and that there were, that there were possible overlaps with other states, including Norway's submission, which was already considered and which received recommendations from the Commission in 2009. The United States, Canada, Norway and the Russian Federation sent notes indicated potentially uh, potential overlaps, but expressing that they did not object to the Commission's consideration as long as it was without prejudice to a future bilater- bilateral delimitation. Apart from this and others similar, some states enter into prior, more formal agreements stating previously of making the submission stating that the submission made by any of them would not affect the position of each of them in relation to the limits. For example, the members of the states of the Economic Community of West African states – (Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria and Togo – assume a commitment to write a non-objection note to the submission of their neighbors. So, we have seen partial submissions, uh, joint submissions, and without prejudice, but if none of this happen, and the land or maritime dispute in the submitted area persists, the Commission shall not consider or qualify, for the time being, the submission made by any of the state's party to the dispute without the prior consent of the other parties to the dispute, as we have already said. This has happened in several cases. For example, we mentioned the joint submission by Malaysia and Vietnam, with the objection by China and Philippines. Also, the partial submission made by Vietnam was objected to by China and Philippines. Guyana made a submission in 2011 and received a note from Venezuela, objecting the submission, affirming Venezuela that, regardless of the fact that it is not party to the Convention, it has rights over the continental shelf. Bahama's submission made in 2014 received an objection from the United States. There have been some cases where the total objection was withdrawn. For example, Oman made a total objection on Pakistan's submission, asking the Commission not to consider it. Later, Pakistan sent a note recognizing the possible rights of the Sultanate of Oman in the area, and reiterating that the consideration by the commission would be without prejudice of the future delimitation. Based on this, Oman withdrew its objection in 2009, and this submission, the Pakistan submission, already has received recommendations. Also, in the case of Kenya submissions, the Parliament of Somalia rejected a memorandum of understanding that both governments had signed and, consequently, asked the Commission not to consider Kenya's submission. Both parties subsequently reached a new agreement and allowed the consideration of the submission made by the other party without prejudice to a future delimitation. Among these total objections, there is a special situation of the continental shelf appartenant to Antarctica. As we know, seven states claim sovereignty in Antarctica. Of these seven, three, Australia, Argentina and Norway made the submission of the continental shelf, including the natural prolongation of the the Antarctic territory that they claim, but recognizing the special character of the Antarctic Treaty. The other four, New Zealand, United Kingdom, France, and Chile did not make the submission for this sector but presented a note where they expressed that even though they did not make the submission for that sector for the time being, they reserved the right to do it later. Several states reacted to these submissions, sending note verbals with their objections to the Secretary General of the United Nations, United States, the Russian Federation, Netherlands, Germany, Japan, and India. Some of them to all the recommend to all the presenta- the submissions uh, and the notes, others to some of them. On the basis of these uh, communications and the statements made by state parties in relation to the special character of the Antarctic Treaty, the Commission decided not to consider. The part of the submission referring to the Atlantica for the time being. Well, we are not going to, to refer to the consideration of the submissions by the Commission. The Commission considers the submissions according to the order in which they are deposited and establishes a subcommission composed of seven of its members who will be in charge of analyzing each submission in depth. During the process of analysis, the subcommission interacts with the state, making inquiries, requiring clarifications, asking for more information, or even generating a reprocessing of the data, or some of the data, that support the scientific arguments of the submission. The dynamics of the consideration of the submission has led the commission to modify its rules of procedure, adapting them to arising needs, especially in relation to the participation of the coastal states in the considerations of the submissions and in the subcommissions' meetings. In the beginning, the participation by coastal states was rather restricted, but, at request of the states, the Commission discussed this issue in depth and modified its rules of procedure. Given the states the opportunity to make a presentation to the plenary of the Commission once the analysis of the subcommission has finished and before the recommendations have been adopted. When the analysis, once the analysis is completed, the subcommission issues a draft of the recommendations that then is analyzed by the Commission in full in the plenary and approved or modified as appropriate. The general rule for adopting the recommendations is by way of consensus. If no consensus is reached, a two-thirds majority is necessary. So far, most of the recommendations have been adopted by consensus, 24 out of 30, but six have been adopted by majority, with some dissenting vote. A potential problem could arise if with changes in the composition of the Commission in new elections, majorities change and, eventually, contradictory recommendations could be adopted. As we have seen before, should the coastal state disagree on the recommendations, or in part of the recommendations, it may, within a reasonable period of time, make a revised submission or a new submission it is not clarifying in the Convention what is a reasonable period of, ta- period of time. Let's remember that the recommendations are not a judgment, as the Commission is a scientific and technical body, and not a tribunal. We have the recommendations now, an Article 76 makes it clear that the outer limit of the continental shelf is determined by the coastal state, not by the Commission. The recommendations themselves are not binding for the state, nor it is necessary to expressly accept them or reject them. It is the state that determines the outer limit of its continental shelf. Nevertheless, if the Commission's recommendations are taken as the basis for this limit, it will be considered final and binding. That is to say, Even if the recommendations are not binding, they give a binding character to the limit established by the state taking them as a basis. And this is not because the coastal state made a unilateral decision, but because, upon the ratification of the Convention, the states have consented to the procedure established therein to determine the outer limit of the continental shelf. They have created an organ, the Commission, which has been given the power to analyze the basis of the limits submitted to the states and decide whether they are technically and scientifically correct according to the criteria of the Convention and the scientific and technical guidelines. The process for submitting scientific evidence of the limit is complex and expensive, but the coastal state undertake that cost to obtain a limit recognized as final and binding. When the coastal state has established the outer limit of its continental shelf, it has to give due publicity to it by means of depositing, depositing the charts and pertinent information, including geodetic data, with the Secretary General of the United Nations and the Secretary General of the International Civil Authority. So far, From the 27 submissions that have received recommendations, 11 states have deposited the limit. Mexico was the first country that deposited the coordinates of the auto-limit in the continental shelf, with both the Secretary-General of the United Nations and the International Civil Authority, clarifying that it was in accordance with the recommendations made by the Commission and the treaty with the United states of the year 2000. Also, Australia, Ireland, Philippines and Pakistan made the deposit with both Secretaries-General. On the other hand, Suriname, the Russian Federation, in relation with the Barents Sea and the area of the first revised submission, and Mauritius and Seychelles, the joint submission, made the deposit only with the Secretary-General of the United Nations and France, in its two partial submissions, made the deposit only with the authority. So, we have seen how the outer limit uh, could be determined, and now I'm going to refer to the coastal rights over this continental shelf. The coastal state exercises sovereign rights over the continental shelf for the purpose of exploring and exploiting its natural resources. And these rights are exclusive, this means that if the coastal state does not exploit its natural resources, no one may undertake these activities without its express consent. Also, these rights do not depend on occupation, effective or notional, or any other express proclamation, that is, they can be exercised even before the limit becomes final and binding. These rights are exercised over the entire continental shelf, both within and beyond 200 nautical miles, since, as the jurisprudence has a in law there is only a single continental shelf. And what natural resources are we talking about? The Convention defines them as mineral and non-living resources of the seabed and subsoil. This would include both minerals and minerals formations such as polymetallic nodules, hydrated methane gas, polymetallic sulfides, crusts, and of course hydrocarbons. These are non-living resources, but also the living organisms belonging to the sedentary species, that is to say, the organisms which at harvestable stage are either Immobile or on or under the seabed or are unable to move except in constant physical contact with the seabed and subsoil. The sedentary species are such abalones, oysters, scallops, mussels, sea urchins, sponges, corals, sea cucumbers. In general, they are identified with the benthonic speci- species. The inclusions of Costacians in this category, crabs, lobster, and shrimps, has traditionally generated several doctrinal and diplomatic controversies. We can recall the lobster war between Brazil and France. Today, most consider them to be included. When we talk about living resources, we must recall that coastal states' rights over the continental shelf do not affect the regime of the and waters, which are high seas beyond 200 nautical miles. The particularity of the continental shelf is that the waters over the continental shelf, up to 200 nautical miles, are exclusive economic zone, but beyond that distance, they are high seas. In addition to this provision on resources, the coastal state has the exclusive right to authorize and regulate drilling on the continental shelf for all purposes. Also, the right to exploit the subsoil by means of tunnelling, respective of the depth of the water in that place. It also has the right to construct artificial islands, installation, and structures, as well as to authorize their construction, operation, and use. The coastal state may, under determined conditions, establish also safety zones up to the 500 meters around such areas. Even if all states are entitled to lay submarine cables and pipelines on the continental shelf, the coastal state maintains the right to take reasonable measures and the right to give consent to the delineation of the course of laying the pipelines. It is important to remember that the right of code pursuit of ships guaranteed in Article 111 to the Convention also applies to the infringements of laws and rules of the coastal state on the continental shelf, including safety zones around the continental shelf installations. These rights, as we have uh, seen, apply to the entire continental shelf, both within and beyond 200 nautical miles. But there are two cases in which the Convention provides for a different treatment for the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles. The first one is the contribution established in Article 82 regarding the exploitation of the non-living resources of the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles. That has, this contribution has to be made for developing states, particularly the less, less developed and landlocked, and it has to be made through the International Seabed Authority. The second difference is uh, related to the authorization of marine scientific research by ships of third states. In this case, when it is requested for the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles, the possibility of withholding the consent is more restrictive for the coastal state. The issue, as we have seen, the issue of the outer continental shelf is so important and actual for all coastal states that, logically, it has been also reflected in the recent international jurisprudence. Uh, in the... before the International Tribunal of the Sea, we have the Bangladesh versus Myanmar case, and the Ghana versus Korte war uh, of the chamber, of the tribunal, and before the International Court of Justice, we have Nicaragua versus Colombia, Costa Rica versus Nicaragua, Somalia versus Kenya, and the arbitral tribunals, Canada versus France, Trinidad versus Barbados, Bangladesh versus India. I will refer briefly, because we have no more time, to three key aspects of the continental shelf that are recognized by the international jurisprudence. First, we can see that the positions of the tribunals regarding the jurisdiction to delineate the continental shelf in areas beyond 200 nautical miles, before the recommendations have been adopted, the recommendations of the Commission, has changed. In 1994, Canada versus France, the Arbitral Tribunal rejected the request to pronounce on the limit beyond 200 nautical miles, stating that the Commission still had to establish the outer limit, and also stating that the international community might be affected. Let's remember that, at that time, the convention was not just in force, it would be in force at the end of the year, and neither the commission nor the authority had been created. Twelve years later, with the convention already in force, and uh, the commission fully functioning, the arbitral Tribunal between Trinidad and Tobago and Barbados considered that its function to delimit the continental shelf included both areas within and beyond 200 nautical miles, since the continental shelf is a unit. This criterion was followed in other cases. The second point that I want to stress was, is with regard to the nature of the continental shelf, in the sense of whether we speak about two different realities, depending whether it is within or beyond the 200 nautical miles. In 2006, in the Trinidad versus Barbados case, the Arbitral Tribunal argued that, in any event, there is in law only a single continental shelf, rather than an inner continental shelf and a separated, extended, or outer continental shelf. This important definition, really, which enshrines the unity of the continental shelf in all its extent, has been reiterated and deepened in subsequent decisions. In keeping with the assertion of the existence of a single continental shelf, the denomination given to the portion of the shelf that extends beyond 200 nautical miles has also become more accurate. In the first cases, the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles was mentioned as broad or extended. In 2006, In the Trinidad-Tobago versus Barbados case, the arbitral tribunal called it outer, arguing that the portion beyond 200 nautical miles was not considered as an extension, since the continental shelf extends naturally up to the outer edge of the continental margin. In line with this criterion, the International Tribunal on the Law of the Sea, in the Bangladesh versus Myanmar case, only refers to that area as the continental shelf beyond two nautical miles, stressing the single nature of this mat- ma- maritime space, regardless of its extent, and therefore avoiding to use the denomination outer or extended or any other. The third uh, issue that I'm going to refer to is the relationship between the limitation among states, and determination of the outer limit of the continental shelf. The jurisprudence clarified the relationship between the determination of the outer limit of the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles, provided for in Article 76 of the Convention, and the delimitation of the continental shelf between two states or more that have agency or opposite coasts provided for in Article 83 and in the dispute settlement procedures part of part 15 of the Convention. The procedure of Article 76 enables the Commission to perform its tasks and and the main role of ensuring that the continental shelf of the coastal state does not extend beyond the limit established in the article. According to the jurisprudence, this procedure before the Commission is related to the determination of the extension of the seabed and subsoil under national jurisdiction. On the other hand, the limitation of the continental shelf between states is governed by Article 83 of the Convention and implemented by agreement between states concerned or by recourse to dispute settlement procedures the role of the tribunals is to determine the lateral limit of the continental shelf between two states, both within and beyond 200 nautical miles, if so requested. In the cases in which a tribunal has determined the continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles between two states whose outer limit has not yet been demarcated, the final point was left undetermined until the Commission issued the recommendations such as the case uh, between Bangladesh and Myanmar, for example, and Bangladesh and India. The tribunal differentiates their mission from the tasks conducted by the Commission, but they also recognize that, in spite of the fact that both procedures are different, they may impact one upon another. For this reason, it is clarified that neither of them prejudice the issues falling within the competence of the other organ. It has been stressed that the mandates of the tribunals and the commission complement one another, since their activity has to ensure the coherent and efficient implementation of the convention. This is what is stressed as the more important uh, part and the more important argument Related to the, the implementation of both procedures, there are, there were in s- these cases some important pronouncements about other issues such as the delimitation method both within and beyond 200 nautical miles, the possible existence of a continental shelf uh, of a state under the, the exclusive economic zone of another state. And also the topics that I've referred to are being analyzed in more detail. But bibliography is attached to to this lecture. As we can see, the outer limit of the continental shelf is a highly complex issue, and new problems or opportunities, depending how you look how we look at them, are arising. But I like to highlight that at the same time that coastal states undertook a deeper and more detailed study on their continental margins to be able to demarcate the outer limit of their continental shelf, in the sphere of the International Seabed Authority, a parallel phenomenon was followed with the exploration of the seabed and subsoil of the area based on licenses granted for nodules, polymetallic sulfides, and crusts. Thus, the seabed and subsoil of the oceans are moving to the top of the international agenda, and therefore to national agendas too. Well, thank you very much for your attention. My contact details are on the conference information sheet. If you would like to get more information or exchange ideas about these exciting issues, please feel free to contact me. Thank you very much. See you soon.